Welcome to the RootDown.us podcast series. Today, RootDown presents this commercial-free version of the Natural Health Report with Dr. Bill Thornton as he discusses mercury in our environment, originally broadcast on KTYM Radio 1460 AM in Los Angeles. Have we been misled about mercury in fish? Now, we've reported on the issue of mercury contamination on the program here for many, many years. Well, we've been on the air for 20 years, so it's been a lot of reporting. It seems to be a recurring topic, though. Most recently, we talked about mercury in the high-fructose corn syrup. That's the sweetener found in thousands of products from baked goods to sodas. And you know about 50% of the high-fructose corn syrup product is contaminated with mercury. And, of course, the controversy surrounding the mercury in the form of thimerosal in vaccines. And certainly the ongoing debate of mercury in our fillings, in our teeth. Well, apparently, we haven't even scratched the surface of the mercury issue. It goes much deeper and much wider than we ever imagined, thanks to the courageous investigative work of a San Francisco physician, Dr. Jane Hightower, we now have a much clearer, though scarier, picture of what we're facing with mercury in our environment. Dr. Hightower is with us today to bring us up to speed on mercury, particularly those of us who think we're safe if we consume the government-recommended amounts of fish on a regular basis. In fact, is eating even small amounts of fish a good idea? And what are the consequences of having that mercury in our bodies? What kind of signs and symptoms should we be looking for? And how do we deal with this mercury poisoning, getting it out of our bodies? And here's a teaser for you. What in the world does Saddam Hussein have to do with mercury safety levels in the United States? Hello, Dr. Hightower, and welcome to the Natural Health Report. Thanks, Dr. Bill. Thank you for having me. Very good of you to join us today. You didn't start out as a crusader for the mercury issue. It sort of happened accidentally as many great discoveries in medicine often do. In this case, back in the year 2000, with a patient presenting to you with symptoms that really could have been just about any number of conditions. The patient had some fatigue, a headache, trouble concentrating, nausea, hair loss, but it turned out to be mercury poisoning. But it wasn't a straight line to that diagnosis, was it? No, it wasn't. In fact, uh, it went by way of a dermatologist who had heard on public radio that people were getting poisoned from eating mercury out of the lake fish in Idaho and had hair loss. Uh, my patient also had hair loss and saw that same physician who wanted to try uh, testing mercury in the blood of some of the fish-loving patients of our community, and it just happened to be my patient. And from that first single case, you went on to other cases in your practice with similar symptoms and turned out to have mercury poisoning. And thus began, as Senator Leahy says, on your book jacket, a long and lonely journey into this mercury issue. But let's back it up just a little bit and find out where the mercury is coming from. What's the source and how does it wind up getting into us? Well, you know, you can't create or destroy mercury on this earth, but we certainly have been digging it up and uh, bellowing it up in the air, putting it on our lakes and streams. We're putting it in the wrong places where it affects our breathing in of mercury. It affects our fish. You know, it settles into the water where bacteria take up the mercury and cause it to become organic mercury, which is a more dangerous form of mercury. So we really need to stop digging it up. The other thing is, you know, we used to use mercury for mining and uh, for amalgamation process of gold and silver. And, of course, we don't do that here in the United States. But because there's still legal uses of mercury around the world, Third world countries in Africa, South America, and Asia, these guys are getting mercury on the black market and using it again for amalgamation processes and destroying their areas and the fish that they eat. Isn't it about one-third 
of the 60 tons of mercury in the environment in our atmosphere coming from the burning of coal? Correct. Coal-fired power plants are still a major cause of mercury being bellowed into the air. And it's very controversial on what clean coal is all about because there really is no clean coal. And I'm not sure, you know, the Bush administration was very much criticized for this. And now the Obama administration is saying the same thing. Oh, we're going to have clean coal. Well, no, you can't have clean coal. You have to put scrubbers and filters on the coal-fired power plants and keep the mercury and other toxicants from bellowing into the air. So it sounds like more of the old politics picked up by the new politician in the White House. And we have more of the same. The high mercury coal continues to be burned instead of being cleaned as it's coming out of the stacks. The Minamata incident in Japan in 1956, speaking now of chronic mercury exposure, that's a tragic example of how high levels of mercury can cause severe neurological disease, even death. This was the contamination of a town's waterway by industry upstream, dumping methyl mercury into the water. And this seemed to have gone on for something like 30 years people getting sick and dying, and nobody seemed to do anything. Yes, in fact, the fishermen had complained to the Chizo company. uh, There's two incidences, or, you know, several small incidences, one in Minamata and the other in Niigata in the 50s and 60s. And, you know, people were getting terribly ill. They didn't know what was causing it. The fishermen were being paid off by the corporation because they said, whatever you're putting in the lake is making the fish taste bad. And so it went on for even longer And still, today, in the 2000s, people of Japan are still fighting for their rights of compensation from those poisonings long ago. So the actual mercury poisoning of the waterways in Minamata, Japan, began in the 1920s and 30s, discovered in the late 50s, or actually revealed in the 50s. People knew about it all along. And to this day, 80 or 90 years later, people are still not compensated for their suffering. But it seems to be business as usual. Everybody's pointing the finger at everybody else as to cause and to blame. Which brings us to the fishing industry, where we have, as we talked about, the coal-burning plants sending the mercury up their smokestacks into the atmosphere, falls into the waterways, gets into the fish, then we consume the fish, and we have the mercury symptomatology. So what does the fishing industry have to say about your revelations in the book, Diagnosis Mercury? Well, essentially, it's we didn't do it, and you can't prove it. <laughs> I mean, that's sort of the, the industry mantra. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, back in the 70s, when the trial of Anderson and FDA went to court to decide on our current allowable mercury and fish policy, the fishing industry fought very hard to raise the allowable mercury and fish. And they did. They got it doubled from 0.5 to 1. We're going to talk about that later, how that happened. And essentially, the fishing industry have themselves to blame for shooting themselves in the foot because that allowed for less strict mercury pollution. So people even polluted or continued to pollute when they should have kept the standards very strict and cut down on pollution. Instead, we're here 30 years later, even worse off than we were before. My goodness. Well, when we come back from the short break... Let's have a look at the FDA's mercury advisory to pregnant women and the tie-in with Saddam Hussein and the Iraq connection. Let's also cover how we test for mercury in the body and maybe a few pointers on how to get rid of it. Stay tuned. We'll have more with our guest, Dr. Jane Hightower, in just a moment. Our special guest today, physician Jane Hightower, MD, of San Francisco, California. Her book is titled Diagnosis Mercury, 
Money, Politics, and Poison. Now, the book goes into great detail, I should tell you, and takes time to lay out the case for mercury toxicity. So if it's of interest to you, I would encourage you to further explore this issue in Dr. Hightower's book. Dr. Hightower, the book reminds me of an illustration I've seen where a child is standing at the top of the world, let's say San Francisco, and it's pulling on a flower. The root of that flower goes all the way down to China, to another flower, and a little girl is pulling on the flower in China. It's kind of a metaphor for all things being connected, sometimes in ways that we cannot see or even imagine. And so it is with this issue of mercury toxicity. When you began to tug on this issue in San Francisco, little did you know, I would expect, that you would have some kind of reaction on the other side of the world in Iraq and the government of Saddam Hussein. Tell us about that connection. Back in early 1970, 71-72, there was a massive poisoning in Iraq and Diagnosis Mercury, my book, talks about this. It's the only book that puts the scientific literature with what we know about the politics that were happening at the time. And Saddam was vice president in charge of the ministries at the time in Iraq. And uh, they ordered grain, and especially ordered a methylmercury fungicide to be on it. This methylmercury fungicide had already been banned in other countries and limited in the United States because it had poisoned people and livestock and wildlife. So we sold them, American companies sold them all this grain. It already also poisoned people in Iraq prior to this. So they knew that it would be bad if they didn't warn the people on how to handle the grain. So they sent the grain out to the people. They sent it late. They sent it with warnings on the sacks that were in Spanish and English. The people, instead of planting the grain where allegedly there'd be less methylmercury in the finished grain, they ground up that grain and ate it. It is thought that over 50,000 to 100,000 people were affected and maybe over 5,000 had died. Probably one of the most bizarre mass poisonings from a food product ever. So the fishing industry at the time was under fire uh, from Canada and the United States to get either the fish off the market that had methylmercury or say that methylmercury causes no harm, and they went with the latter. So a major trial took place in 1977 in Florida when the swordfish proprietor Anderson and FDA sued each other. And what happened was that for our standards of one part per million in fish, it was a 100% lied upon the data that was obtained from the methylmercury seed graining poisoning in Iraq. So we can thank Saddam Hussein's poisoning for the current standards that, by the way, even today, the FDA people who have been there for 30 years, they still are using the Iraqi methylmercury seed grain poisoning even to set today's standards. Which is much too high. Way too high, because what they said during the trial, what I found out, is although the EPA, which takes care of non-commercial fish, they think you should have your mercury less than 5 micrograms per liter at least, if not 3.5 micrograms per liter. And the literature supports that. You should have essentially zero as normal. But the standard set by the FDA, who's in charge of commercial fish, said that it would be okay for people to have a mercury level in their blood up to 400 micrograms per liter. My goodness. That's insane. I, I don't know how the FDA can even get away with such a thing to today with all the literature that has come before them in the last 30 years. So essentially we have higher allowable limits of mercury in our fish as the result of a snafu in Iraq. Well, it sounds like we might have found one of the weapons of mass destruction that we have been searching for. 
Maybe it's this um, Saddam Hussein Mercury policy that's coming back to haunt us and to harm us. Well, there was a great example of this Iraqi-influenced policy from a clip on your website, diagnosismercury.org. It's a video clip from KPIX Television, and it's about a reporter who ate 20 cans of tuna, one can a day for 20 days, to measure her mercury accumulation. Now, she had her blood work done at the very beginning and periodically throughout the time she was taking these 20 cans of tuna. You were monitoring this reporter's mercury levels, and you were very concerned. Pretty startling the amount of mercury this reporter accumulated in this short test. Yes, that was an interesting uh, little project that she had, and she was going to go 10 days at first, and, you know, I told her what her target mercury would be had she continued, and at steady state, she would have had a mercury level in the 50s, which I highly do not suggest she do, but she went 20 days, and her mercury went from 4 to 8.9 to 17.2, and, you know, it's, it's just not healthy to continue with that high mercury because there's always a competition in the human body for toxicants and then the inhibitors and antioxidants that sort of mop up and encounter those toxicants. And once you have more toxicants in the body than inhibitors of those toxicants, you can get yourself into trouble. Now she said she didn't have any particular symptoms at that particular moment, but that's not really a good gauge, is it? Because, as no, because you say, she only went 20 days. Yeah. And she has eaten a considerable amount of mercury in the past, but, you know, she caught it in time and, and reduced. But she figured if it's short time, a short period of time with those levels, since she doesn't have an allergy to it, and she's not an autoimmune patient, she's not getting pregnant. I mean, we went through all the whole health history of making sure she'd be okay, but I don't suggest people try this. Yeah. Um, you just don't know if your genetics can even take these experiments. But what we're looking at is the long-term effects when you get long-term exposures of these toxicants, you can get a whole cascade of events that can occur with the inflammatory cytokines, we call them, you know, things that make one not feel very well. Well, speaking of the long-term exposure, there was another high-profile case. The actor Jeremy Piven had to drop out of a Broadway show because of the effects of mercury poisoning. Apparently, he was a daily sushi consumer. Right. And, you know, uh, we don't know any of his other exposures, too. You know, if you mix alcohol with mercury, it can work synergistically and, and not do well, very well. If he had any kind of uh, drug use at all, because I don't know any of his history, that could even make it worse. But his mercury levels, with just figuring out what he was consuming on the reports of ahi tuna twice a day, his mercury would have been in the 50s. Many people at that point will have symptoms over the long term. And he'd been doing that for a few years at least. I think that I was amused by Geraldo Rivera's story that he uh, was laughing at Kevin and even had an industry guy said, well, you can't get sick from eating salmon. Well, number one, he wasn't eating salmon. Salmon has 10 times less mercury than ahi tuna. And number two, I would challenge Geraldo Rivera to actually eat Jeremy Piven's diet for at least six months and see how high his mercury goes and see if he wants to continue. Mr. Piven actually took a lot of ribbing. Even the writer of the play that Jeremy had to leave, it was David Mamet, told the newspapers that Jeremy Piven wanted to be a thermometer. But nothing funny about having the symptoms and signs of mercury poisoning. And while we're at this junction, could you tell us, doctor, the signs and symptoms of early mercury poisoning? And, of course, keeping in mind with the audience that these symptoms can also be something else entirely. They're not specific just to mercury poisoning. Well, 
if you're lucky, you will get some symptoms. You know, the standards of what constitutes mercury toxicity was argued of whether we should have what's called lesser symptoms. And the fishing industry and the polluters argued against having these symptoms as the criteria. You know, you've got to have some symptoms before you get stumbling, gait, coma, and death. So the symptoms before that occurs is fatigue, troubles thinking. You may have a tremor, insomnia, muscle and joint pain, headache, hair loss, stomach upset. So it's a various and sundry, just low-level poisoning, I don't feel well symptoms, which can cross over into many other diseases. If your physician is astute and knowing your intake, they could save a lot of money and a lot of heartache by just getting a mercury level and going over dietary history and not doing too major of a workup on some of these symptoms. And what's your preference on testing for mercury? Well, here's the problem we're having. Number one, some doctors will give what's called a chelation challenge to see how much mercury you can get out of the urine. And what that does is it changes the organic mercury in the body to an inorganic so it can go through the urine because organic mercury doesn't go through the urine. The problem with that is that everybody will get some mercury out of their system, even if they're not much of a fish consumer, because we, you know, just eating dirt, you can get mercury. So it's not a real good way of telling really how much is in the body. The other thing is that the blood mercury half-life, which is about two months on average, can be variable in people. And it doesn't tell you how much mercury is stored in your organs because some organs can have thousands of times higher mercury levels than the blood level. The only way you can really get an idea is by what the diet has been, and you know that this person's been with a lot of exposure. Clinically, that's all we can do right now. If a person comes in in six months, they haven't had any fish, they might not have much in their bloodstream, but still they might excrete it in their hair. So a hair level is like rings on a tree. And if you have long enough hair, you can go down the hair and test yourself of what you were six months ago because it holds very tightly. And it can be used forensically also for mercury exposure. So hair and blood and exposure is still sort of what a lot of people will do these days to kind of estimate their mercury load. Assuming we're not dealing with an emergency overdose here or someone really into a coma, what kinds of things can someone do with their uh, doctor's uh, supervision to remove the mercury from their bodies? Most of our exposures are going to be those low-level chronic exposures that can cause symptoms, autoimmune induction, infertility in men, other things such as neuropsychiatric changes you can see in the long term, and cardiovascular disease. This is a major, major issue that if you have too much methylmercury over omega-3s, then uh, you can increase your risk of heart attack. So what you want to do is, number one, look at your diet and keep your mercury as low as you can get it. Hopefully you'll have a lab that will test down at least five micrograms per liter. You want to keep it under five at least. You want to keep your fish small, so low on predatory scale. Uh, If you have a big fish, don't get a bigger plate, get a smaller fish. And generally, herring, wild salmon, sole, anchovies, these kinds of fish can be eaten every day, and most of the time you're not going to get a significant elevation of mercury. To get it out of the system, it could be just tincture of time, you know, for a lot of people, so that you don't send all that mercury, you don't send it all through the kidneys at the same time. Some people also take alpha-lipoic, but that's still being studied. Cilantro is also being recommended by some folks. Do you feel that's uh, pretty good? The cilantro might actually inhibit the absorption. Mm-hmm. So that's one issue. 
And I'm also looking at right now some of these other herbs, and, and I am going to be discussing things such as turmeric and curcumin with a group of scientists that's coming up because, you know, some of the spices that you put on your food might protect you from a lot of toxicants, including mercury. And we just don't have enough information for anybody to make a recommendation at this point. Excellent. I'd like to hear more about that when that becomes more available. Your book is available on Amazon.com and any other locations? You know, if you go to the Borders website also, you can get it off of there. But, you know, Amazon seems to be the, the main site. I think the book was not out more than 15 minutes, and someone wrote something adversely about it. So you can read all about it. it. sounds just like the fisheries website. Well, you know, you're sticking your head above the foxhole, Doctor. You've got to take some fire and some flack. You've got a good case Yeah, here. but, you know, the thing is if you eat poison and you don't feel well, stop eating poison and see if you feel better. It's pretty easy. What really intrigued me was just all the politics and nonsense that went on with this diagnosis. It should have been easily taken care of. It should have been easily resolved. But what happened was that all these polluting industries or people trying to sell a product started getting in hot water because people were really seriously getting damaged, more than just a little headache here. There are people seriously injured in uh, Minamata, and there was deaths. Yes. Same thing with methylmercury sea grain poisoning. So we're lucky that we have low enough levels to where we're getting these symptoms, but, you know, it's no joke to have a heart attack either. With that comment, Doctor, I think you've made your point to thousands of listeners. We appreciate you coming on with us. We're just pretty much out of time. You know, with your well, diagnostic you skills. Me. Oh, absolutely. I was just thinking, uh, if, if Dr. House ever retires, there'd be a shoe-in to have you in that part. We could call it Hightower. How's that? <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the RootDown.us podcast series. The Natural Health Report with Dr. Bill Thornton is heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific on KTYM 1460 a.m., and ktym.com. The preceding program is not intended to give medical advice. If you have a medical condition, please consult your medical practitioner and do not discontinue medication without the supervision of your physician.